Lightyear, from the sermon series, God on Film, spoken by Pastor Ansi Post. Good morning, afternoon, everyone. Um, I'm so glad to be able to share God's word with you. Um, isn't it wonderful to worship together as one family? Um, I don't know if you guys noticed, but it was amazing. Did you see the way Mr. Tim worshiped? It was, he was so joyful. Or Mr. Ronnie and Mr. Rich, they were jumping around. Did you see that? Like, did that inspire you? Did the, the, the sign language Miss Mimi was doing inspire you? How about the dancing that Miss Una was doing? I hope you were able to notice that we can serve God and worship in so many ways. Did you see Mr. Wes, right? Like. Some of you out there have that kind of gifting, and we need you in the church. That's what's so wonderful about worshiping together as one family on Family Worship Sunday, is that we get to see the way the body worships. And later, I want you guys to look back, because there's going to be people who are leading prayer. There is everyone can be God's hands and feet. Whether you're a young kid or an older person, it does not matter. You can serve God. And this is a place where I don't want you to just sit in your seats, but I want you to listen to what God is telling you. I want you to look around and see what God is doing through the people that are serving and see if that inspires you about how you can be part of that story, how you can be part of making this church alive. Uh, before I get started, I do want to point to this is our sermon notes. If you are young, a young person and you, you need something to help you focus, uh, it's got a coloring page, it's got a word search, but this is my favorite part. This is where you can take your notes. This is a section here where you can write down words you don't understand. I'm going to be using a lot of big words, and if there are words you don't understand, Write it down or tell your parents because, you know, my daughter has a bunch of words I have to explain. So your parents, you can ask your parents. They can help explain. And this is my favorite part. There is a section where it says mistakes, failure. That's one box. Jesus, repentance or repent and God. If you hear me say any of those four words, check them off. Find me afterwards. Tell me how many times you heard me say those words. That's a great way to stay focused on the sermon. Before I get started, let's pray. Um, usually when I pray before a sermon, I like to just say to myself, Jesus, help me to really hear what you want me to hear. Father, Lord, we are so thankful that you are a God who loves us, that you speak to us, Lord, that you allow your Holy Spirit to help us to understand what we need to understand, Lord. I pray for those who are in this service, Lord, every single person here, whether they're here in person or virtually, Lord, that you open their hearts and minds, that you prepare it to hear your word, Lord, that you speak through me, Lord, Lord, that the words that I speak are not my own. I may have prepared as best as I can, but I can in no way do what you can do, Lord. May you bring transformation through your words, through your Holy Spirit, Lord. So we come to you and place this church as an offering to you, Lord. We ask that you transform us, that you make us people who change the world because we have been transformed by you, Lord. Lord, uh, Lord, as we are going through this service, as we are listening to this word, Lord, help us to remember that you are with us, that we are not alone in this place, and that we always walk with you. Praise on your precious name. Amen. 
As Wes mentioned, today we will be doing God on Film. So once a month here at Metro, we do God on Film, where we look at the medium of film and movies and see where we can see God. God can, is everywhere. It doesn't, you can find God in a movie, you can find God in a book, you can find God in your school, in your neighborhood. God is everywhere. We call that God sightings. And if you are not seeing God everywhere, then you need to train yourself to see God in every place because he is there. There is no place that is too dark for God. So remember that. And so today we're going to look at the movie Lightyear, uh, which is the origin story or backstory of how Buzz Lightyear, a Space Ranger toy, came to be one of Andy's toys in the Toy Story series. So we find out in this movie that Buzz Lightyear is a character in Andy's favorite movie and that this movie Lightyear is the very same movie that Andy watched back in 1995 and loved so much leading his mom to buy him this Space Ranger toy for his birthday. I hope you've already watched this movie because I will be speaking about parts of it and I do want to just give you a spoiler alert because there's going to be some parts where I may spoil the movie for you. So my family's actually come to love the Toy Story movies uh, because Toy Story was one of the themes of my daughter Paisley's uh, cheer team last season. And uh, we as a family also love Disney World and Toy Story Land. And so we were really excited to see this movie together. The movie Lightyear tells the story of a young astronaut named Buzz Lightyear, who after being marooned on a hostile planet with his commander-in-chief, tries to find a way back home while confronting a threat to the universe's safety. Buzz is guilt-ridden after the crash, and he makes it his mission to discover an energy source that will help them achieve hyperspace and get off the hostile planet. This movie has flawed heroes seeking redemption, uh, rookies prone to trying to prove themselves, and even villains with secrets. One of the themes that you see in this movie is about mistakes and failures and how we respond to it. Actually, I saw this movie with my children, and when we walked out of the theater, my kid said to me, Mom, I know exactly what you should preach about. You should preach about mistakes and failures. And you know what? God speaks to our children. They were able to see what God wanted them to see. And so I want you to know, no matter what age you are, God is speaking to you. And you can make change. You can direct where this church is going. Because if God is giving you an inspiration, speak it. Share it. Because you don't know who needs to hear that word. And I needed to hear that because mistakes and failures are an unavoidable aspect of life. It's an unavoidable hazard of our life. As humans, whether by ignorance or insolence, we make decisions and statements we later regret. However, what is most important in these situations is how we respond to our sins and failures. In addition to making efforts to correct our mistakes, we should also reflect on the cause of our mistakes in the first place. In those times, we may hear two voices. One is condemnation, and the other is conviction. And the voice we listen to is, is going to affect our self-perception and subsequent actions. Too often, the voice that penetrates our hearts and minds is one of condemnation. Now, condemnation is a tough word, so make sure you write that down so your parents can answer that. <laughs> so what is condemnation? Condemnation. 
Condemnation is feelings of guilt, shame, regret, fear, and unworthiness, usually stemming from a past failure or experience. These past sins could have happened 10 years ago or 10 minutes ago. Any time we get off track from where God is leading us, the enemy tries to bring condemnation on us. So, kids, I know condemnation is a big word, um, but the way I would think of it is, do you ever say bad stuff to yourself like, I'm not smart enough or I'm not good enough? It's, it's the thing that you kind of say to yourself sometimes. That's what condemnation is. Just because you did bad on a test doesn't mean you're not smart. But that's what condemnation does. It tries to make you feel bad about yourself so you won't realize how powerful and loved you are in Jesus. Conviction is different from condemnation. Conviction is the Holy Spirit letting us know that we have missed the mark or gotten off track from where God is leading us. By convicting us of our sins from our past or present, the goal isn't to make us feel guilty or unworthy or fearful, but rather he wants to lead us to repentance. Repentance is the act of leaving what God has forbidden and returning to what he has commanded. So if you've done something wrong and you're over here, right? This is the wrong thing. God is saying, come back. That's repentance. It's when you choose to move back to where God has wants you to be. So again, conviction, another big word. But the way I would think of conviction, it's that feeling you get when you've done something wrong. The feeling that something isn't right. It tells you that you can do better and encourages you to say sorry and to work to make it better when we mess up. Conviction helps us to know that what we did was wrong and it helps us to say, I shouldn't have done this. This was wrong. I'm going to do better next time. There is a huge difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation of the enemy, who is the devil. Both condemnation and conviction affect how we approach life. So it's very important that we are able to tell the difference. The Holy Spirit works to convict us to move us away from doing what is wrong and towards God in freedom. The condemning spirit of the enemy works to push us away from God. This is done through shame and condemnation so that we are more prone to hopelessness. And hopelessness leads us to continue to do what we should not do. When we do something wrong, we can have two feelings. We may feel guilty or shame. Guilt tells us that we made a mistake. Shame tells us we are the mistake. And when we feel like a mistake, we are then more likely to make bad choices because we lose hope. So I remember when I was in a bad relationship and when that ended, I felt like I was a bad person because I had chosen that bad relationship in the beginning. And, it, and every time I wanted to make a choice, I would remember that. I, after that, I dated a person that I knew from the very moment I met that he was the wrong person because I was like, you know what? I've already messed up. I can't do better. Like I dated him. And then when I was like trying to go to seminary, I'm filling out the application. I'm like, they're not going to accept me. I'm not the right person. And so then that stopped me. Like that almost stopped me from doing that. But that's not the voice of God. That's condemnation. And when I eventually so, like went to someone and, and talked about what is God saying to me? Do you know what God said to me? Plant, uh, bloom where you're planted. He was like, you are where I want you to be, Ansi. 
Grow where I placed you. Don't ever feel like you're in the wrong place because I have placed you there. See, God's voice was so encouraging. I would not be who I am. I would not be speaking here today if I had not listened to God's voice. If I had let condemnation stop me from sending my application into seminary, I would not be here today. I would not have the, the things that, are, that I've done. I would not even have my children because I would have chosen the wrong people. See, making sure the, the hopelessness I felt because I let condemnation speak to me and I listened to it led me into places I should not have gone. And so that's why it's important that we are able to tell the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation takes one instance, one momentary lapse of judgment, one failure, and turns it into the defining moment of our lives. Condemnation is the counterfeit version of conviction. It tells us that we need to change, but then taunts us that we cannot change. For Buzz Lightyear, that moment was when they were trying to get off the hostile planet, and he was not able to clear the mountain and ends up crashing into it stranding his people on the planet. The words that he says and hears over and over in his head is, everyone is just stuck here because of me. He has nightmares and doesn't ask for help or seek help. All he is focused on is his failure and how he can fix it. Buzz is living in condemnation. Unable to let go of this failure, of this one moment, this one mistake, and forgive himself, and to move on with his life. There is no indication in the movie that anyone else blamed him, but he could not stop blaming himself. Condemnation is not from the Lord. It is from the enemy. The Bible clearly tells us in Romans 8.1 that there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Psalms 34, 22 says that the Lord will rescue his servant. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. The Bible also tells us that if we confess our sins, we are forgiven and that that sin is no longer on us. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So not only does God forgive us and remove the sin from us, but he purifies us and restores us to righteousness in him. God tells us in Isaiah 43, 25, that he blots out our sins and does not think of, it, think of them. God literally forgives us and forgets it. He doesn't think about it anymore. We all fail, sin, and hurt others, whether intentionally or unintentionally. When we sin, we must confess and repent as soon as we realize it. Next, we must receive the forgiveness from the Lord and then take the next step and forgive ourselves. Holding on to guilt or shame is refusing to receive the gift that God has given us and to receive his forgiveness. It would be so wrong for us to refuse this beautiful gift that God is giving us. Many Christians today are living in bondage, refusing the gift Jesus Christ has made available to them through his blood shed on the cross because they think of themselves as unworthy. Because of our past mistakes and sins and failures or the past sins and failures of others, they, feel, they don't feel that they're good enough to receive from a holy God. Metro, are you living in condemnation today? Before you answer that, I really want you to take a moment to think about it and examine your life. 
Here are some signs that you are living in condemnation. First sign that you are living in condemnation is that you think about the past a lot. You think about your past failures and negative experiences that hurt you over and over and over. Your self-talk is on repeat with the words, I wish I would have, or if only I had. If this is you, I just want to say to you, you cannot change the past. So there is no benefit for letting condemnation keep you changed to it. It is not helpful or productive. Do whatever you need to do to get free, to move on. Go to therapy. Just confess it to a friend, a soulmate, a pastor, whatever it takes, but do not stay chained to the past. The best way to overcome the shame of, of, fail, of past failure is to be vulnerable and confess it to a trusted person. Don't keep it a secret and give it power of you. Choose freedom. Another sign that you are living in condemnation is that you can't forgive yourself. If you find yourself beating yourself up for days, weeks, and even years after a mistake, then something is wrong. This condemnation leads you to feelings of rejection, fear, failure, insecurity, and even depression because you could not forgive yourself. Living in condemnation because you can't seem to forgive yourself is self-focused. But choosing to receive forgiveness is God-focused. So turn your focus back to God. Forgive yourself because if you've confessed and repented, then Jesus has already forgiven you. Start living in victory. Another sign that you are living in condemnation is that you have a judgmental or critical spirit. A judgmental or critical spirit is one that looks for flaws and failings in others and forms a verdict or opinion about them. Criticizing or passing judgment on others can sometimes help, help us make us feel a little more superior in areas where we have the upper hand but often we judge other people because we ourselves feel judged, whether by God or by people. When we feel judged, feelings of condemnation abound. However, often we are only feeling judged by others because of condemning thoughts that are replaying in our head. God is very clear that he has not called us to judge others. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 17 says, Do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of anyone, for judgment belongs to God. Bring me any case too hard for you, and I will hear it. And, uh, yeah, and I will hear it. God's very clear, right? Judgment belongs to him and not to us. Does this sound like you? Do you think about the past all the time? Do you find it hard to forgive yourself? Do you find yourself with a judgmental or critical spirit? These may be signs that you are living under condemnation. Condemnation is not from the Lord. Do not give the enemy a seat in your mind. We all sin and the Holy Spirit may convict us of our mistakes and failures to lead us to repentance, but he does not condemn us. 
God's Holy Spirit, the voice of conviction, begins by reminding us who we are. We are God's masterpiece, created in his image and loved by him. God calls us and corrects us because we are his and he loves us and he wants to restore us. Once God reminds us who we are, then he begins to deal with our sin. Did you hear the order? God reminds us who we are. Then he deals with our sin. In contrast, condemnation always starts with what we've done, then accuses us of what we've done, of who we are. The enemy condemns us so he can destroy us. God convicts us so he can correct us and make us more like him. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives us the strength to overcome our sins and humbles us to seek forgiveness. The Holy Spirit works to convict us to push us away from doing what is wrong and towards God in freedom. The condemning spirit of the enemy works to push us away from God. One of the ways to know if the voice that you are hearing is the conviction is conviction or condemnation is to see where it is leading you. If your thoughts are drawing you closer to God, then they are most likely the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But if we feel like hiding from God and begin to doubt his love for us, then we are feeling condemnation from the enemy, from the devil. Rebuke those feelings in the name of Jesus. God does not want us to live in condemnation, but rather in victory. We all make mistakes, sin, and fail, but that's not the end of the story. We are children of a loving God, and we can be fully restored through the gift of forgiveness. There are also things we can do to decrease our chances of failure in the future and falling into sin. So how can we live a life of victory free from sin? First, we can live a life of victory free from sin by paying attention to our weaknesses. We are all prone to certain sins, and if we are aware of our weaknesses, then we can make sure to stay away from areas of risk and catch ourselves before we fall. Let's look at two people in the Bible who both made mistakes. They are two men who were both given the same opportunities, but ended up with two very different outcomes in life and eternity. The two people I want to consider are Judas Iscariot and Simon Peter. Two men, two betrayals, but two very different outcomes. Why? Both these men were chosen by Jesus personally to be one of his disciples, one of the 12. They were both his friends. Both spent three years sitting at Jesus' feet and learning from him. Both ministered with him. Both witnessed Jesus' miracles. Both most likely drove out demons and healed the sick when Jesus sent out the 12 in Mark chapter 6. And Jesus loved both of them. Yet they both betrayed Jesus. Peter denied him three times and Judas betrayed him to the authorities with a kiss for 30 pieces of silver. These two men did not come to their betrayals out of nowhere. They both struggled with sin during their time with Jesus. If we look at the Gospels, we can see that both these men held positions of uh, trust within the 12. Peter was part of Jesus' inner circle. 
And Judas held the apostle's money bag, a position of trust requiring integrity. However, both of them had tendencies that led to their sin and betrayal. Highlighted frequently, especially in the Gospel of John, is Judas's greed. This sin appears to be the one that he struggled with the most and ultimately failed to overcome. The Gospel of John tells us the extent of Judas's love for money. John tells us about a time when Mary, the sister of Lazarus, anoints Jesus with precious perfume. John chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. John chapter, four, verses, uh, John chapter 12, verses 4 to 6. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put inside of him. Judas didn't come to betraying Jesus for financial gain out of nowhere. He was prone to the sin of greed and coveting money and had even taken positions that put him in the path of temptations. He had already even given into temptation and embezzled from Jesus and the disciples. While Judas struggled with greed, Simon Peter struggled with pride, quick temper, and impulsiveness. There are several moments in the Gospels where Peter boldly claimed that he would do whatever he could for Jesus. Whatever it took. His arrogance was so strong that even when Jesus predicted his denial, Peter failed to change his heart. In Matthew chapter 26, um, verses 33 to 35, it says, Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Then Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then in John chapter 18, verse 10, it tells us that when the authorities came to take Jesus away, Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. His instinct was to give in to his impulsiveness and anger and strike the first person that he saw. Not one of the Roman soldiers, not one of the members of the religious order, but a servant. But when it came right down to it, Peter's boldness fled. It melted away. He denied his Lord three times while Jesus was on trial. Though he did not hand Jesus over to the authorities, like, like Judas, it was no less a betrayal. Peter disowned his savior to save himself pain and struggle. All three men did not come to their big failures out of nowhere. Judas had fed his greed. Peter had been prideful and impulsive. Buzz Lightyear was prideful and unwilling to ask or accept help. When Buzz and his team discovered that the planet that they were exploring had killer vines and bugs, they were forced to retreat and try to escape the planet. Buzz tries to do it all himself rather than ask for or accept help as they try to escape the planet and the ship he's piloting crashes. When we are more aware of our weaknesses, we can then avoid them. Do you know what your weaknesses are? Are you aware of which sins and temptations you are prone to? 
While we should not stay chained to the past and be able to live in forgiveness, we must also look at our past mistakes to see what we can do, what we can do to prevent them from happening again. Second, we live in victory. We live a life of victory free from sin by staying in community. You know, our church has talked about community a lot in the past year. We did a whole sermon series because God created us to be in community. There is no indication that Judas returned to the community of the, the, of the disciples after he betrayed Jesus. But we see that Peter is with the disciples on the third day when the women find the tomb empty. Isolation is a tool of the enemy to separate us from God. In the movie, Buzz Lightyear isolates himself after his failure and focuses only on finding and achieving hyperspeed. Buzz's unwillingness to accept failure keeps him from celebrating the marriage of his best friend, Alicia Hawthorne, the birth of their child, and, and far too many in-jokes and experiences for him to count. Because his focus was on his past failures and not in the present, he misses the life that is going on around him. While everyone else has relationships and builds a life on the planet, he becomes self-consumed and ultimately becomes his own worst enemy. It is only when he joins a motley crew of junior cadets that he was able to help his people by defeating Zerg. After his resurrection, Jesus spent some time and spoke to his disciples, even, and, and even had some direct words specifically for Peter. Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him. Each time Peter responded that he did indeed love Jesus. This is because Jesus wanted to make sure that Peter understood that he was forgiven. Peter had denied Jesus three times and Jesus had given him the opportunity to say that he loved Jesus three times, helping him to feel forgiven and restored. Once Peter understood that he was forgiven, Jesus then gave Peter a prophecy of his future and reissued his invitation, the same one that he gave him in the beginning, to follow him. What an amazing savior we have. One who gives us every opportunity to repent and be restored. It is because Peter stayed in community that he was able to hear the good news of the resurrection and go on to be a prominent leader in the church. Do not let the enemy isolate you and condemn you when you make a mistake. Third, we live a life of victory free from sin by returning to God and allowing him to restore us when we fail. We will all fail at some point. But what we do after we fail affects the outcome. Simon Peter and Judas Iscariot both betrayed Jesus. They both made huge mistakes and had huge failures. But how they responded to their failures led to different outcomes. Both men recognized that what they had done was wrong. The Holy Spirit convicted both of them to recognize that they did the wrong thing, that they had sinned against Jesus. Matthew chapter 26, 74 to 75 says, Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Then he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter was convicted of his failure and felt remorse. He wept bitterly. 
Judas too felt remorse for his actions. Matthew chapter 27, verses one to five. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 piece of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Judas, too, was convicted of his failure and felt remorse. However, he allowed the words of his enemy, and of, of others, and of his own words, saying, this is your fault and responsibility, the words of condemnation to cloud his judgment. He felt guilt and shame and could not forgive himself or seek forgiveness from the Lord. Condemnation led him to hopelessness and eventually death. Peter, on the other hand, confessed. We know this story today of Peter's betrayal because Peter shared this story. He repented. He stayed in community, right? We saw him with the disciples when Mary Magdalene came to tell them that the, his, Jesus' body was missing. He also accepted the forgiveness offered to him by Jesus and went on to be a prominent leader in the church. Both Judas and Peter experienced sorrow and remorse, but Judas' sorrow did not result into repentance and change. However, Peter's sorrow led to repentance. It's important to note that while regret and remorse is an aspect of true repentance, the emotion of sorrow is not in and of itself true repentance. Godly sorrow leads to change in our thinking, our actions, and our lives. It puts us in the right attitude so that we can repent. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Let's look at that verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, chapter, wait, chapter 7, verse 10, tells us, Godly sorrow brings repentance and leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Jesus knows when we have sinned and gives us every opportunity to turn back from our mistakes and be restored. If you remember, Jesus didn't just warn Peter that he was going to deny him. Jesus also told the disciples that someone at the table would betray him. Judas knew it was him. So not only did Jesus warn Peter, he also warned Judas. This is an act of love. Even knowing the betrayals to come, Jesus still treated them with love. Jesus knows our weaknesses and gives us every opportunity to not fall into sin. When we are aware of our weaknesses, we can then actively work to stay on the right path with Jesus rather than fall into sin. Judas allowed the condemning voice of the enemy to be louder than the loving voice of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.1 tells us there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, if you remember nothing else from my sermon, I want you to remember this verse. Underline it in your Bibles, write it down, take a picture, whatever you need to do. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because we're all going to mess up. We're all going to fail. And we're going to hear the voice of condemnation. But condemnation is not from the Lord. 
Conviction from the Holy Spirit leads to repentance. It is not enough to feel sorry for our sins and mistakes. Both Peter and Judas felt sorry. But we must also repent. Understanding and believing that, that God can and does forgive our sins when we truly repent. Peter allowed Jesus to restore him. Judas was seeking absolution from the enemy, and unfortunately, they didn't help him. They left him to handle his remorse on his own. That's worldly sorrow. It leads to death because it's too overwhelming for us to handle on our own. Our sins are too much for us to wear alone. This is why we need Jesus. There are two feelings we may experience when we have sinned. One is conviction, and the other is condemnation. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit, prompting us to confess and be restored to fellowship with God. Its purpose is to draw us closer to God. Condemnation is from Satan, trying to convince us that we are no good, that that God will never forgive us. Its purpose is to keep us away from God by making us feel guilty or shameful. As soon as we confess our sins, we are forgiven. And that sin is forgotten as God immediately purifies us from all unrighteousness. Any bad feelings we have after that is condemnation from the devil. Refuse those feelings. If you are living under condemnation today, give it over to the Lord. If you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, if you believe that Jesus is your Savior, then you must not live in condemnation. Amen. When my kids were little, I remember teaching them how to say sorry, how to apologize. I know that all parents, like we, we all taught our kids to say sorry because, you know, they did a lot of stuff to say sorry for. And I taught them a very specific formula because I wanted them to use the same, have this habit of saying sorry. And so this is the formula I taught them. They were to say, I'm sorry for blank whatever that might be. That's the confession part. I don't like it when people just say sorry. I don't want my kids to say, I want them to be very specific about what they're saying sorry for. This formula, I was hoping that my husband would take this formula, but it didn't work out for me, but um, maybe somebody else can get that, okay? So they were to say, I'm sorry for blank, right? That's confession. I won't do it again. That's repentance. That's the decision to turn away from what is the wrong thing and do what is right. Please forgive me. Seek forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. Then receive forgiveness from me with a hug. Restoration to right relationship. A very specific formula that I taught them when they were little. This is the same way Jesus wants us to approach him when we've sinned. We are to go to him and say, Jesus, I am sorry. I'm sorry for. I'm sorry I hit my sister. I'm sorry I lied. I'm sorry I didn't take the opportunities you gave me to tell a friend about you. I'm sorry I gossiped. Whatever it may be, God wants us to come to him and tell him that we're sorry. Uh, then say, I will do my best not to do it again. I won't hit my sister again. I won't lie. I will be more honest. I will tell a friend about you. I'm going to invite them to church. I won't gossip. Be specific. Please forgive me. And you know what Jesus does? He forgives you. And he doesn't think about it anymore. He forgets it. He doesn't count it against us anymore. God is not like people. He doesn't say, you always do this, or you did this again. 
but rather he forgives and forgets. If you have made a mistake and failed or sinned, but have never confessed it, I urge you to confess it to the Lord today. Repent of your sin and accept the forgiveness that he is offering you. If you need to seek forgiveness from someone else, do it. It does not matter whether they forgive you or not. That is not up to you. But know that Jesus has forgiven you. So forgive yourself and live in victory that Jesus has given you. We all sin, fail, and, but we can, do, we can decrease our chance of failure in the future and live in victory when we pay attention to our weaknesses, stay in community, and return to God and allow him to restore us when we fail. Metro, let us live in victory and freedom and not in condemnation. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we are so thankful that you are a God who loves us, who has made a way for us to be restored. Because we, your people, are constantly sinning and falling and making mistakes. But you, our Lord, is always reaching out, ready to forgive, ready to restore, ready to be with us in, our, in the midst of our mistakes and failures. So, Lord, if there is anyone here who feels the condemning spirit of the enemy, Lord, I want you to make it aware to them so they can reject that, Lord. And, Lord, I, I pray for the condemning spirit that's here. I reject it in the name of Jesus and send to the feet of Jesus at the cross because we do not receive that. We receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit because we want your repentance. We want to go back to be in right relationship with you, Lord. And so we are so thankful for your loving gesture, Lord, of dying on that cross, of giving us freedom, forgiving us forgiveness, forgiving us eternity and beyond because of your death and resurrection, Lord. So I pray for my sisters and brothers here in person and online, Lord. Uh, we just ask that you bless us and help us to live in the victory that you have given us. We praise on your precious name. Amen.